We've got about five weeks before we hit the seven-week journey, which is a lot of fun, and uh, there's a lot to it, and we love doing it, and we love being together. I mean, we're family church, and that's, that's our value. We, we love community. And so, uh, and with that will be a, a series that we're calling Rhythms of Grace, and um, it's going to be good. It's going to be, um, I think, timely for, for, for me, for us, and um, I'm excited about that. So we've got five weeks left, basically, in, in, in the series that we've been in, which is called Head versus Heart, and um, I, I, I honestly, this, is, this conversation is the conversation I've needed to have for me. And, and if anyone else is benefiting, I'm very, very grateful and praise God for that. But, but truthfully, I'm just preaching to myself. And so um, what I'd like to do for the next five weeks is uh, there's just so many scriptures that I just want to take time and walk through them, if that's okay. And just let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does and reveal to our hearts uh, open our eyes, give us, give us a, a, a brand new angle on life and, and what it means to have true knowledge and true wisdom and to operate out of that place. And so um, what I'd like to do today is begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read a, a good portion of the first chapter and then we're going to read all of the second chapter today and, uh, and just take our time, walk through it. And see what God does, and it's going to be great. Just a little bit of a, uh, while you're turning there, just a little bit of a, uh, I, I kind of peek what's going on. This is context for this, this letter. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote a few letters to this church that he actually founded in, in an area called Corinth. This is uh, south-central part of Greece. And, uh, and so this is a community that is uh, founded on uh, it's a new, it's new believers, but it's founded on Jesus and the life of Christ, the gospel. That's the priority uh, that, that Paul went into discovering and finding this church, just, just kind of uh, establishing it. It was all built on Christ, the finished work of Jesus. Um, but this is a community, this is an area that, uh, that is really captivated by philosophy and intellectualism. And, of course, we've heard of all these, these Greek philosophers. And so this is an area that's really prioritizes, centralizes philosophy, intellectualism. And uh, that's what matters most. And so that's the cultural pressure on this, this church that's based on faith, living by faith, walking by faith. And so that's uh, a little bit of a battle. Now, the church in Corinth famously was um, divided, dysfunctional. Um, messed up. There was a lot of really uh, blatant sin happening. There was some blatant idolatry and, and false god worship. There's a lot of drama happening in this community. And, uh, but that's sort of the story of the church. I think we, we expect church to be a room full of the nicest people you'll ever meet who do nothing wrong, and that could not be further from the truth. The church is a collection of the broken and the flawed and the fractured. And uh, this is a place where um, sinners come to meet Jesus and to collectively worship a Savior. Uh, Christianity is not about 
uh, a list of moral codes. It's, it's really Christianity is about a group of people who have come to grips with the fact that they cannot fulfill the moral codes, and we seek a Savior who has done that for us and who has done that in our behalf. And so uh, th- th- there's a wonderful statement in Hebrews chapter 10 that says we shouldn't forsake this. We shouldn't throw this away. We shouldn't bypass this. Don't forsake community. And, uh, and, but it doesn't give a qualifier. It doesn't say unless that community offends you, unless that community is, uh, it says something you disagree with. It doesn't say unless, it, unless it's difficult to get out of bed to go to that community, it just says, don't, don't forsake this. This is a priority in the heart of Christ. And so um, that's the kind of contextualization of, of what's, what's going on in this area. And uh, let's dive in, starting in verse 18, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. Here we go. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God as well pleased uh, through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Uh, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that, the, that are, so that, doing, uh, uh, so that no man may boast before God, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Um, last week... I, we, I paraphrase. I mentioned these verses just real quick, and, and what, I, what, what, what I said was that uh, Paul's statement here historically is that the Jewish people ask for signs, and then he contrasts that with, he says, now the Greek people, they are looking, searching for wisdom. And so what that means practically is, is that uh, the Jewish culture uh, traditionally would say, I want to see the proof. Uh, show me. Show me so that I can see it. And if I see it, then I can be it. If I see it, then I can do it. Just let me see. Show me the sign. Show me evidence. Show me physical proof. And then conversely, the Greek, the Greek community is saying, convince me. Show me 
with a clever argument. Convince me intellectually. Let me get to the mental destiny. Let me wrap my brain around it, and then maybe I'll come to terms with it. Now, these two approaches towards life are extremely common, and they truthfully, they're not relegated to these two historic communities. This is really, I'll believe it when I see it. Or, uh, that doesn't make sense to me, so I'm not interested. And so those are kind of the two ways that we, we, we basically step into a place of belief or, or, or accepting and receiving what's being offered is because we see it and it's evidence or we figured it out and now we're, we're there. Now, what Paul says is Jesus is what we preach. And uh, so basically saying instead of accommodating these two desires in these two different communities, I go the other way. They're asking for A or B, and I choose D. And, uh, and so here's what I do. I preach Christ and him crucified. And then he, he says the response to these communities when he does that. He says for the Jewish community, it's been a stumbling block. They can't get around it. They can't get over it. They can't, they, they, it, it trips them up. And so because it, it, it's not what they ask for. It's not what they want. They want something more concrete they like the law, they like the moral code, they like ritual, and then you're telling me, here's this guy who did all that for us and now we don't have to do it. That doesn't make any sense to me. And so then he says, the, for the Greek community, the, the, the message of the gospel, the presentation of Christ and him crucified is foolishness. And he means that word as it's read, foolishness. It is, it is completely foolish. It, it makes no sense intellectually. And so what we're forced to do is accept and receive this by faith. Because the truth is, if you can see something, if you can see the, the evidence, the physical manifestation of something, then no longer is your relationship with that thing faith. If you can fully figure out if you can fully reason and wrap your mind around what we're talking about, then this is no longer faith. The gospel is complete and utter foolishness. To the point where, where Paul feels the need to say, I'm not ashamed of it. And he says that because people would try to make him feel ashamed of it, or the assumption would be, I would be ashamed of that silly message. Uh, I would say that one of the biggest pushbacks my wife and I have had over the last decade here preaching, presenting the same message every single Sunday. We preach it a million different ways, but it, it, it is ultimately Christ and Him crucified. Uh, usually, this is how it goes. People come in and a lot of, them, a lot of people step out from a, a, a lifetime of religion and, uh, and, and, and a lot of that has to do with rules and rituals. And so when you first dip your toe in, you're like, this is nice. The gospel is freeing, is liberating. You have this instant euphoric feeling. You're like, this is good news. And then give it time. And eventually you're like, when are we moving on to the deeper territory? When are we going to go a little bit deeper? Chris. And, and that's been a common conversation that I've had 
and to which I, to no avail usually, I, I try to communicate, I don't know anything deeper than Jesus loves me, this I know. That is the deep end of the theological pool, and I've got nothing else for you. Christ died for you, was resurrected for you. And then I, 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 I've gotten to the place where I start asking questions. I'm like, what do you mean? And, and what it ends up being is humanism. Uh, it is the intricacies of the human brain. It is the in- intricacies of human interaction. It is the intricacies of human responsibility. And so we think that deeper and more profound than God showed up, became us, died for us, was resurrected for us, more profound and more life-changing than that is give me three keys to a better life. I, 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 that I don't get. <laughs> um, we set out, and this happens to all of us. There's a, there's a moment in time where this happens, usually more, more than once. We feel the compulsion to set out to explore the complexities of life, to wrap our minds and our hearts around something more profound. A lot of times we'll just, we'll, we'll exit everything. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of detach, separate, and go on a, uh, a journey discovering. And the truth is, when we're trying to explore and understand and, and define the complexities of life, we're moving in the wrong direction. Paul said this, I I fear, I'm worried about this. This is troubling my heart that you would be corrupted away from the simplicity that we have in Christ. He, He compares it, we read that scripture the first week of the series, he compares it to the temptation in the Garden of Eden, that the enemy corrupted Eve away from the simplicity of trusting God and living in paradise. Paradise wasn't enough. She had to do something, do more, achieve more, and become self-centric. The, um, one of my great influences of my life, one of my great heroes of my life, you guys probably have been around for any more than a week you know that I'm a big Mr. Rogers fan. I love Fred Rogers, brilliant man, um, known for his simplicity. He said this, life is deep and life is simple. And what our society, what this world gives us, offers us, is shallow and it's complicated. I think that the, sti- the, the activity and stimulation of our brain, looking at the complexities of things, we feel like now we're, we're, we're venturing into the deep end of the pool. And I love what he says. It's so true. It's, compl- it's complex. It's, it's complicated, but it's, it's shallow. You're, you're, when you're dealing with just humanism, you're in the kiddie pool. When you deal with knowing the God of the universe, now we're in the ocean. We live currently in an age that is referred to as the information age. You've heard the term. And what that means is we know a lot. We know, I, 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 can't, I can't say we know everything. We might think we know everything, but we know a lot. 
information is readily available. And for a lot of folks, if you follow the, the line of thinking, they would say that, that knowledge, wisdom, discovery, exploring the complexities of life is going to lead to a greater existence, a greater quality of life, enlightenment, elevation, you're going to graduate to a, a greater place. We live in the information age. More information is readily available, more knowledge is readily available now than any other time in, in human history. And this is the most stressed, fearful, divided, anxious, worried, medicated generation in all of history. That is not the answer. That is not taking us to a place of peace, rest, revelation, and understanding. For all the wisdom that we think that we have, for all the strength that we think that we possess, for all the capability and togetherness that we think we've acquired, this is what the Apostle Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, in other words, you are looking at yourself as if you have progressed nicely. And, and I, I would say this, I, I have been a, a bonehead for the vast majority of my life. And I will own that. I just happen to be the knucklehead whom Jesus loves. And I, I rejoice in that reality. But I've been a knucklehead for the, and, and my mom is agreeing with that way too much right now. And uh, stop, stop nodding, mom. So um, I have, and I continue to be a knucklehead. I, I realize it, there is not a day that goes by where I don't stumble across, it's like an Easter egg hunt, I stumble across some hidden gem of how un, unthoughtful, how selfish, how uh, easily angered, short-tempered, impatient, selfish, did I mention selfish? How selfish I am. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. you. You hid the boiled Easter eggs, the actual eggs, for Easter, and then come around uh, June 6th, you realize you, you forgot one. Those are the brilliant discoveries of my life on a regular basis. I'm like, I, stuff pops up, and I'm like, what is this? And I, I look in the mirror, I'm like, what? I thought we'd be further by now. Honest. I'm 45. You think, you think at some point you learn something. And, and if you don't realize it, and if, and if it doesn't come up you know, within yourself, somebody else is going to point it out to you. Because people are great at telling you how you're doing. They may not ask you how you're doing very often, but they'll tell you how you're doing. And, and in my profession, that tends to be anyone with a pulse gets to tell me how I'm doing. And so it is a continual revelation of my inadequacies. And the only solace I take is that it's in my weakness that his strength is perfected. We are not in the best place when we feel like we know more, we know better, everyone should listen to me. That is a, that is a great sign that there is going to be some speed bumps ahead that are going to knock us on our tuchus, and we're going to understand quickly His weakness is stronger than our strength, and his foolishness 
is way more advanced than our wisdom. Who knows anything? The good news in all that is not to make us feel low or down or or beat down. There is a greater truth, there is a greater knowledge, and there is a greater wisdom that is ours, that belongs to us, that we have, that God has freely given to us, and that we have constant access to. This is what Paul says, by his doing, which is a very important statement, by his doing, he did it all. We did not choose him, he chose us. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, the person became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast only in the Lord. Jesus is the true knowledge and true wisdom that God freely gives his people. And the understanding that we need to have is that his knowledge, his wisdom is so far above and beyond where we're sitting. There is moments in time where I have been absolutely vehement. I have been passionate to the point where I have cold sweats and I'm trembling. And then I look back in retrospect and I'm like, I could not have been more wrong. Wisdom's a lovely, beautiful teacher. Hindsight is twenty twenty, And so there's been moments in time where I would argue with you, I would, I would have thrown down with you over some philosophic topic. And looking back, I'm like, what a doofus I was. Paul continues this conversation, if you would turn your attention to chapter 2. It's just 17 verses. I'm going I'm to break it down a little bit, and so I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll read some, we'll talk about it, and then, and then we'll wrap up here in a little bit. This is what uh, verses 1 through 5 says. When, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive uh, persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Throughout the series, we've talked about Really, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. That's really the, the impetus of this whole conversation. And, and so when we say it is important to trust Jesus and not lean on your own understanding, uh, it's easy to interpret that, that verse and, and hear the words coming out of my face and, 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 and take that as meaning it is an indictment against wisdom. That gaining and, and, and having understanding is inherently wrong and or bad. And that is not true at all. That's not what he says at all. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul sort of explains a little bit further what, he, what that means in real life situations 
throughout this chapter, and, and so he starts with this idea. He, the Apostle Paul, former Pharisee, and a couple times in, in the New Testament, he cites his own resume. So he talks about his Pharisaical life, and he says, I was the LeBron James of Pharisees. I was the best of the best. No one could carry my duffel bag. I was the man. I was top of the class, valedictorian, Pharisee. And so that guy says, I did not come with superiority or speech or of wisdom. Now, that is not a statement of, I don't have any. That is not a statement of, I'm not good at communicating or, or I feel insecure about my amount of knowledge and wisdom. Not true. He had more. He's, he's a former Pharisee. He's rooted in the Jewish uh, Judaism. He's rooted in the Jewish, Jewish religion that was then uh, became the Christian community. It's the roots of Christianity is in Judaism, the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. And so he has been there for that transition. He's got deep, deep roots. He's communicating to a community of Gentiles that this is all brand new. So compared to the audience, does he have wisdom? Oh, yeah. But he says, I did not come leaning on that. It's not that he didn't have it. He chose not to lean on it. And it's a choice. He says it. I've determined. I've made the choice. I've resolved to know nothing else except for this one thing. This one singular thing. Back to the, the, the theme of simplicity. One thing. Christ and Him crucified. That's it. So he's saying, I, I'm stepping out of the small boat of my own wisdom and capability, and I'm stepping out onto the ocean of faith. I'm stepping out onto the sea of faith out of this small, limited buoy of understanding and knowledge. He says, I don't, I don't preach in pervasive, persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm coming to allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does, revealing the power that is in the Gospel that can change a human life that can continue to transform you until you go home to be with Jesus. Moving on to verses 6-9, through 1 Corinthians 2, 6-9. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are... Uh, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, hidden the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood. If they understood it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory, but just as it is written, 
things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of a man at all, all, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So he's saying we do communicate wisdom. We do move into uh, more meaty, solid food. Now this would be uh, probably roughly four years since this church was founded, and he is still saying ultimately you're, you're, you're still not ready for those conversations, um, but eventually over time those conversations come up. And he's saying that it's, it's wisdom, it's advanced material, but it's not what the world would call wisdom. It's not at all what culturally is presented to us as wisdom. In fact, it's God's wisdom, which is true wisdom. It is, it is a mystery, he says. Now, Colossians 2 says that, that Christ himself is God's mystery. So he's talking about how this Savior was concealed. It was a mystery. You read the Old Testament and you, you see these threads of the coming Savior, but it is not quite revealed yet. You don't get the full picture until you see the birth and the arrival of Christ. Jesus is not understandable. Jesus is not figure-outable. Anyone that says otherwise is deceiving themselves and you at the same time. There's only one way of getting the mystery, and that's through revelation. The only way that we, that we ever have a, a revelation of Christ is because Jesus reveals himself to us. The Spirit of God shows us Jesus. Paul puts it this way in, in, in his next letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says that the, when we turn to Jesus, the veil is removed from our hearts. That is to say there's a veil that is on our hearts. And that veil on our hearts, the significance of that, Romans 10.10, it's where the heart of person believes, is trusting, understanding, believing, having faith. The only way to do that is not for me to talk you into it. It is not for me to argue you into doing that. It is not for me to convince you by showing some, some signs and some wonders. The only way is Jesus to reveal himself to our hearts for the veil to, re, to be removed, which is a work of the Holy Spirit within us. That's it. You know, when a uh, very important moment when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, hey, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And they start uh, offering the, the popular answers to that question. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're just a really nice guy. And then he gets personal. He says, who do you say that I am? Peter, for once in his life, says something correct. And he says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yes. And this is what he says to him. Man didn't convince you of that. You didn't hear that through human wisdom. He says, 
My Father has revealed that to you. How do I believe? I can't not at this point because Jesus has touched my heart. No one talked me into it. No one reasoned me into it. No one argued me into it. Jesus loved me into it. I'm ruined. I'm, I'm too far gone. Have you ever had a Tremont cheeseburger? I went to Merb's one day, and their sign on their restaurant, it's, it's around Red, Red Bank, foot of Signal Mountain, it says, best, best hamburger. And I went in, I said, is this really the best hamburger? She's like, oh, yeah. So she brought it to me. I took one bite. It's sad trombones. And uh, she came back. She's like, it's the best, huh? I was like, no. She's like, who's better than this? I said, Tremont? She's like, well, yeah, Tremont. <laughs> we'll put that on the sign, best man, but Tremont. I've tasted and I've seen. I've been ruined. This world tries to hand me, hand me a crystal and say, this is the best. And I'm like, I, no, I've had better. I've had the best. I, 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 I'm ruined. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 17, Paul goes on. For to us, God, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit." combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is a spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we, he will instruct him, instruct the Lord? But we have the mind of Christ. We assume because this is what we're taught, this is what we catch, that um, it's about setting out and discovering what it's all about. We, we set out to figure everything out. And, and when, we, when we approach that with the things of God, with God himself and the plans of God, it leads to a dead end because the Holy Spirit must reveal those things to us. It, the, the, the comparison Paul uses is you're sitting next to someone right now and you may be married to that person, you may be friends with that person, you may know them pretty, pretty well. But as well as you know them, you don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what's going on on the inside. The only person that knows that is that person. And what Paul is saying is, this is, we try to, we, we boast, we talk about God as if we've got an inside window to his brain. 
and, and we'll, we'll say things, and I know part of this is just kind of reasoning through trouble, but um, we'll go through a tough thing. I've had a, I've had a week, trust me. It's been a tough week. And I find myself, well, well, God's using this for a reason. I don't know that. I actually don't know that. I can, I can, I can take a step back and say, I hope God's using this for a reason. I trust He'll use it for a reason. I believe that He can use it for a reason. But God's using this for a purpose. And someone goes through a tough time and we say that to them, the little cliches. He's trying to teach you something. You don't know that. And I'm not saying those things are horrible to say. I think it comes from a good place. But I'm just trying to make the point. You, we don't know God unless God shows us who He is. The Old Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies is, is reserved for the best of the best. Only the really good people can get there. Be in the presence. The, the, the only... The only facsimile of a presence of God that we had on planet Earth. And there was a massive curtain separating all the commoners from that place. First thing that happened, Jesus gave up the ghost, veils rent, tore top to bottom. The presence of God is unleashed so that we all have access. Straight, direct to the Father. We... We have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God teaches us all things, reveals to us the heart and the intentionality of God. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit, and and it connects us in a divine way to the person of God. The Bible says here that a natural man does not accept those things, the things of the Spirit of God, because they're foolishness to him and can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised. A natural man, what that's speaking to is this. A person who is operating on the wrong frequency. A person who has set their mind and their heart to this, and this is it. This is the default setting. We're calibrated to this. And so you'll you'll pick up on it when you hear these recycled phrases and words that you see tweeted everywhere that these are this is where I'm at this is the this is the big picture and then they'll say something that they found quite profound but as far as eternity and God are concerned not much it's amazing how much we look down our nose at other people who are on a spiritual journey and we'll, ah, it's so simple and so goofy. And I have, I have people text me, message me all the time, and something they found profound. They're like, we've sang this worship song for a year, and suddenly a line of it spoke to me. And I'm getting it now. And I'm not like, where you been for the last year, man? I'm like, that is amazing because it's coming to light, and that's beautiful, it's meaningful, it's it's so much more, it's so much bigger and so much more powerful than just living a natural existence. Just playing by the world's rules. A natural man is operating on the wrong frequency, so considering beyond just this is going to sound foolish. Paul says it this way, um, 
These things are spiritually appraised. Uh, a better definition from appraised would be discerned. They are spiritually discerned. And then he goes on to say, he who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is discerned by no one. What that means is a spiritual person, the lights come on concerning all things. They're able to discern it through the right filter because they're on the right frequency, yet they're not discerned by other people. Other people don't get you. They can't understand where you're coming from. And we can't expect people to. They've only ever had a Merv's burger. They've never been to Tremont. Who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct him? Here's where I want to end. But we have the mind of Christ. We have it. It doesn't say we're going to get it. It doesn't say if you try a little harder, if you work, if you keep the rules, you might get access to the mind of God. It says, no, 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 we have it. A huge part of our spiritual journey, a huge part of this life together in community in Chattanooga, Tennessee, or Ringgold, Georgia, wherever you're from, a huge part of this journey is this, simply settling into what this means for us. Settling in and discovering what it means to have the mind of Christ. And I'll tell you a little bit what it means to me as we close. Being still, knowing, realizing that He is God, which means that I'm not, that His thoughts and His ways are so much higher than mine, but yet His thoughts and His ways are mine. That His perspective is my perspective. That His peace is my peace. His understanding is my understanding. And the only thing that gets in the way and I, I, this is a silly example, but it's, I relate to it. For a good solid year, this microphone that I'm using today was crackly. It would drop out. And people are like, what, is that a Fisher-Price microphone? What do you got? And could not figure it out. Could not figure it out. We had the best minds and scientists. We were Googling like nobody's business. And finally, one day, I, I realized this is a frequency. It's shooting signals. I wonder if something else that's bouncing around this room is fighting with that signal. We used to use a, a wireless HDMI receiver they would shoot the stuff on the TV. That's why the lovely and talented Rachel Johnson is up here so close to the TV because now we are hardwired. And as soon as we took away that competing frequency, ring, my voice is silky smooth like an angel's burp. That doesn't make any sense. 
there is a frequency. There is a heavenly spiritual frequency that the Holy Spirit tunes our hearts to. Tune our heart to sing thy grace. The Holy Spirit tunes us into that frequency. So suddenly we're picking up different information. We're in the middle of something that is just not going good, and then we're getting the signal from the Holy Spirit, God's got you. And you're convinced in a deeper place than just in your thoughts. There's a resolve that is faith. The Holy Spirit is continually talking, communicating, and showing us. And this world is shooting off a billion other frequencies, competing frequencies, and it's breaking up the signal. And suddenly we're listening to that instead of what we should be listening to. We're tuning ourselves to that instead of tuning our hearts to the heart of God. This is why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. And it is in those moments we have to turn up the volume and say no. No. Whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the report of the world that says you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough, you're not successful enough, you're a disappointment, you're a failure? Are you going to listen to the heart of God that says you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you are you are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. What are you going to listen to? You, you listen to the world's frequency that says you should try to become like that person because that person is happy and you're not. When the frequency of heaven is saying the joy of the Lord is your strength. Are you going to listen to the frequency of the world that say you've got to do better, you've got to try harder, or are you going to listen to the frequency of heaven that says it is finished? Rest in my finished work. It is time, more than ever, any other time, to make it a regular practice to be still. To stop, to cease striving, and to ask God to tune our hearts. Prayer is part of that process. Worship is part of that process. A lot of people raise their hands in worship. It's almost like raising the antenna and saying, i gotta, I got to tune. You know what worship is? We just saw the coronation of the King of England. The coronation of the King of our hearts is worship. We're continually saying, God, you are better and brighter and bigger and more important than everything else. And taking time to do that together is saying, collectively, he's God and we are not. May we tune our hearts to his. May we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal our eyes to how big and magnificent God is and how much he loves us.